Hi everyone, it's me, Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, it's How Icebergs Work. Uh, it's a good straight-ahead Stuff You Should Know app based on a Grabster article, so you know it's quality. At any rate, kick back, enjoy, maybe put on a sweater, a little scarf, get yourself some hot cocoa, maybe a little of those, those marshmallows. Maybe treat yourself and get the colored marshmallows that are like in the shapes of stars and moons and stuff. Well, that might actually just be Lucky Charms I'm thinking of. At any rate, enjoy this episode. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and that makes this Stuff You Should Know. How's it going, everybody? It's a joyous day, Josh. Oh, yeah? How so? Oh, I don't know. It just, it's been a joyous day, don't you think? I'm very glad you think it's been a joyous day. <laughs> what do you think? You haven't had a computer, so you don't care. <laughs> I know. My laptop's been apparently too full of data to operate, yeah. whatever that means. Yeah. He stuffed it up with 250 gigs of shady stuff. That's right. Yeah. It's called research. I guess so. Every single bit of that was hard facts, buddy. Yeah. And songs. Yeah, those two. <laughs> El Cheapo videos. Is that right? Well, there you go. Videos tend to stop stuff up, I Yeah, imagine. especially high-res ones. Yeah. That's probably what it was. I would imagine so. <laughs> on your work computer, no less. Well, what am I going to do? Carry on two computers? Why, why are we talking about this? I don't know. You started it. Let's hear the intro. Uh, Chuck. Yes. I'm quite sure that um, you'll think I'm kind of stupid for mentioning probably the most famous ship ever to be sunk by an iceberg, but humor me. Of course, we all know the uh, wreck of the William Carson, mm-hmm. uh, which in 1977 went down off the coast of Labrador. Yeah. Uh, it had a number of cars on board, it, but more importantly, 109 souls, right? Which is what they call you when you're out to sea. Oh, really? soul. Yeah, like uh, 109 souls lost. I never really have heard that or paid attention to really? it. Really? Yeah. Really? I thought they would say lives lost. They say souls. They say souls a lot. Or they used to old-timey-wise. Gotcha. Before Kennedy and the separation of church and state, I guess. Right. Yeah, I guess now they call them lives before they, they were souls. All souls lost. That's sad. Yeah, it makes it even sadder. It does. It's like um, the saints crying. Right, right. Under certain circumstances. Um but the, uh, the luckily, 109 souls were not lost. Zero souls were lost on the William Carson, as everybody knows. Mm-hmm. The cars went down, though, which is a tragedy that for is the tragedy. insurance companies sure. covering those cars. Yeah. But as I said, like every school child knows the story of the William Carson. Did you know that there were other ships that have hit icebergs? Uh, I was not aware of any. It's true. The Lady of the Lake. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know about that one. Went down in the Grand Banks. Didn't they make um, a movie about that? Uh, no. No, you're thinking of Excalibur. Okay. Um, the uh, Lady of the Lake went down the Grand Banks on its way to Quebec mm-hmm. with 70 people on board. 70 souls. 70 souls. Um, the SS Hushedtoft. Hushedtoft? Okay. Yeah. Um, off the coast of Greenland in 1959 on her maiden voyage. Can you believe this? That makes wow. it so much worse that it's a maiden voyage. Yeah. 95 people dead. All because of icebergs. I mean, there's been other ships that have hit icebergs, but um, all because a chunk of floating ice took out an entire ship. Souls and souls and souls were lost. Yeah, you know we have a young fan named Shelley Stein right now that is 
about to throw her iPod through a window. <laughs> Is that the the person who always wants to hear about that um that other ship sinking? Yeah, she's been begging for like two years leading up yeah. to the anniversary. <laughs> That's right. Um, Anyway, what's crazy is that all of these ships were lost. As a matter of fact, uh, between 1882 and 1890, 14 passenger liners went down in a place called Iceberg Alley. But it was only the last 25 years that we started tracking icebergs. What's even more amazing, though, is that we have learned a tremendous amount in those 25 years and are still learning, and we will dispense with the learning forthwith. That's right. This was interesting. Was this a grabster? Yeah. Boy, he puts together a nice article, doesn't he? He does. He knows what he's doing. He's uh, a professional. I never feel uh, I never feel bad about the, about his. About, where we're, about you, where we're headed with his. You feel bad about some of them? Yeah, like the ones I write. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. I like the ones you write. They're very adventurous. They were um, for the Adventure Channel, right? Well, yeah, at one point. So, Chuck, um, I, I think people there are sitting there, sitting at home thinking right now, like, they're talking about icebergs, and it's just a chunk of floating ice. And you're absolutely right. It is just a chunk of floating ice. Not just a chunk. There's so much more to it. Sure. Um, for example, iceberg. Salt water? Nope. Fresh water? Yep. Why? Well, uh, I learned virtually everything I've ever known about icebergs within the past 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, same here. By the way. Uh, it is ice, um, but it is not sea ice or pack ice. Like when you see Deadliest Catch and they're uh, motoring through that, that sea ice. Those mm-hmm. those aren't little chunks of iceberg. No. That's salt water. Right. That's frozen seawater. Frozen seawater. Uh, an iceberg was um, is a piece of a glacier that has busted off or uh, calved. Calved. Calved? Like having a calf. Like giving birth to a calf. So it's calving? Calving. Calving. Calving? Yeah. (laughs) Man, I I had it until you threw me off. Well, saying cal... I thought it would be calving. 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 Yeah. Away from a glacier. I wonder how many times we just said calving. And a glacier... uh, Let's talk about glaciers for a second. Glaciers are packed snow. Basically, well, yeah, but I mean, they're a little more interesting than that. Well, yeah, that's the that's the base route, though. Right. In certain latitudes, um, it never gets warm enough for snow to fully melt all yeah, the way in the summertime. Sure. So what you have is an accumulation yep. of that snow that builds up over and over and over again over the centuries, over the eons. As old as ten thousand years old, sometimes. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's a glacier. Yeah. But glaciers are also additionally interesting in that. Um, they become so heavy that they, uh, over this freeze and thaw cycle and uh-huh. um, the accumulation of layers, that they, all of the air bubbles are pressed out of them. Yeah. So glaciers are blue, Very which is the striking. color of frozen water with no air in it. Yeah. Um, and they also move under the force of their own weight. They move downward, downhill mm-hmm. toward sea level because sea level is as downhill as it gets, right, until you hit the sea. That's right. And um, so because of this, they, they are this ultra-dense form of ice. Yeah. So it slips down, floats out into the sea, tidal motions eventually will cause little cracks and fissures. Right. And then a piece of the glacier will break off and boom, there's your iceberg. That's an iceberg. It's, so a it's, freshwater, of, it's a piece of a glacier. Yeah, freshwater glacier chunks. Right, and it's freshwater because it's made of snow, not seawater. Um, and when you said that it... it floats out into the sea, that's called uh, an ice shelf. Yeah. Um, and up north, in northern latitudes, um, 
the biggest ice shelves are found on the western coast of Greenland. Yeah. Those are Arctic or northern icebergs that are formed up there off of those glaciers. Down south in Antarctica, where there are penguins, but it's not the only place there's <laughs> penguins. I want to make sure everybody knows I know. And no polar bears. No. Only a fool would say that. Yes. Um, the, the, pretty much the continent of Antarctica is ringed with ice shelves. Yeah. And there's a lot of open sea, so the icebergs can get really big. Yeah, they tend they to stay. They can keep extending, extending, sure. extending. But then, like you said, yeah, they break off, and then you have an iceberg. You want to talk about ice? Yeah, this is fascinating. Like, I went over this again and again and again until I finally got it, and I feel like I got it. Oh, it's so easy, though. I was making a lot of Kerpumpa. a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> uh, ice, as we all know, is the solid phase of water. You have, you know, liquid, solid, gas. Mm-hmm. Ice is the solid phase. Uh, 32 degrees Fahrenheit for fresh water. Or zero Celsius. Yep. Uh, salt water is going to need to be a little bit colder because um, there are basically salt molecules getting in the way of the ice forming. Well, they, they, um, they move faster, I believe, than water molecules. And it takes a lower temperature to slow them down. And also has greater density if you're talking salt water. Right. Which is important. Very important. But ice also is the is peculiar, meaning unique, mm-hmm. in that it's the only solid phase of any substance, I believe, yeah. that is less dense than the liquid phase. So ice yeah. is less dense than water, and then seawater is denser than freshwater. So, proceed. Well, and it's easy to remember that ice is less dense because when you put a little ice cube in your little Chardonnay this summer, <laughs> if you're a redneck, <laughs> it'll float. Yeah. Because there's little uh, ice forms in uh, a crystalline shape, so those that leaves area for gaps, I guess. And so, what is that? Air in there? Uh, I, yeah, I'm sure there's air. Or bubbles it's just in less ice. dense. It's just the. It's just it's less dense. Basically, if you take water and freeze it, you can think of it as spreading out. Sure. So it gets bigger. It has yeah. a lo- it has larger volume, but it'll weigh the same as that lesser amount of water. Right. Right. And when you put something, say ice, in water. It, it's buoyant mm-hmm. in that the amount of water it displaces has to equal the weight of the ice that's displacing it. Yeah. But since there's more ice than an equal weight of water, <laughs> there's some left over that floats, and that is what we call the tip of the iceberg. No wonder you get confused. <laughs> yes, the tip of the iceberg. That is the part that sticks out. And it's about, uh, depending on the iceberg, about one-sixth to one-ninth. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure everyone's seen those awesome pictures on the interwebs of, uh, you know, the, the top of the water and under the water of the iceberg. It's pretty cool. Right. You seen those? I have. It's very nice. And the reason there's vari- <coughs> variation between how much iceberg is showing mm-hmm. is because of the variation in the concentration of salt in seawater. Sure. Any particular part of seawater. Mm-hmm. And, and um, also... Uh, some icebergs are denser than others, just as like, Morrissey said. Just like people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, you, you mentioned earlier that glacial ice is blue. Um, that is true. Um, during different melting and freezing cycles, though, they will turn white because the air uh, gets trapped in there. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes these really old icebergs that have formed at the bottom of these thick Antarctic ice shelves like that have been around for thousands of years might actually have a greenish hue because uh, it's just, you know, soaked up organic matter under there over the years. Right. And then, uh, so which is kind of a dirty yellow brown. Yeah. But 
uh, icebergs have the tendency to roll over without warning, which is one reason why you wouldn't want to camp on an iceberg. No, they're dangerous to be around. They are. And actually, there was one that floated down to uh, New Zealand, and some helicopter charters were like selling flights to go check them out. And one of them landed on the iceberg, and they realized yeah. pretty quickly they shouldn't do that it's anymore. Not a good idea. Um, but did they like get in trouble? Did it? No, they made it out oh, okay. okay. But when they got back and told people, I'm sure some scientists were like, "Wait, what did you just do?" Right? <laughs> yeah. Don't ever do that again, TC. Um, but the iceberg will roll over, and so you've got the green part up that's with the light reflecting up through the blue part, yeah. and you get this brilliant emerald green. And that's some old ice right there, Bubby. Yeah, it is. Bubby? Yes, Bubby. <laughs> I've never said that before. The life cycle of an iceberg is pretty interesting, too. Uh, we mentioned they can be as old as 10,000 years uh, before they ever reach the ocean. And um, this is like centuries of compression. So that's why it's so so dense. That's why it's blue. And then once it calves off, though, and it, and from the glacier, you got about three to six years on average. Right. If it stays, if iceberg. like say it's up in the in Iceberg Alley and never strays below the 48th parallel, yeah. which is apparently where the water starts to get a lot warmer, 48th parallel goes for Americans through like m- the tip of Minnesota and the oh, upper okay. peninsula of Michigan. I bet people below that are like, it's still pretty cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I imagine. Um, so ones that stay up there and never come back down can float around for like 50 years. Yeah, and just kind of melt away slowly and quietly. Right. Ones that make it further south, like one made it to Bermuda once, which I'm sure was quite a surprise. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, those go away fairly quickly. Uh, yeah, and I enjoyed this um, one account of this uh, expedition. Um, what was the guy's name? Dr. Gregory Stone witnessed and wrote about in his book Ice Island, um, which I believe... The largest ones are called Ice Island sometimes. Yeah. Isn't that right? Um, his quote is, and this iceberg basically uh, became destabilized, and it sounds like it exploded. Yes. Like right in front of his face. Yeah. Well, he said that there was an ice debris field across two miles. Yeah, and he said it was like uh, shards of crystal shattering. Right. But if you think about it, that's what happens when you put an ice cube in water. Yeah, you hear that noise. Right. It's called thermal shock. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's also because ice is less dense than water. As it's liquefying, mm-hmm. it shrinks. Because think about it, it's contracting. Yeah. And it's pulling apart the outer warmer layer from the inner colder layer. And this, these cracks form and the ice cube essentially explodes. It sounds like that's the same thing that happened. Yeah, so when you pour that, that 12-year-old scotch on top of your single cube of ice, mm-hmm. if you're into that. I don't know if you should be doing that, but okay. I'm not a neat guy. I like my I like it a little cold. Okay. And it, and I'm not so hardcore with the single malt, so to remove that bite just a bit is good for me. Wait, you don't so you don't like to get neat through your nose? No, is that the way to do it? Yeah. <laughs> you, like wait, you drink it with ice through your mouth? Yeah. <laughs> I know Scotch purists scoff at me, but scoff away. Ah, whatever. Just do what you like. Exactly. Um, that was very supportive. I meant you as, like, people in general. Oh, okay. So that wasn't supportive. Um, let's talk about some factoids. And this this is, to me, the fact of the show. 
is that uh, there are actually six official classifications for their size. <laughs> right. And the first two, it sounds like they were having a lot to drink when they were, had the naming party. Right. And, and uh, they sobered up. <laughs> they sobered up a bit because the smallest ones, about the size of a car, maybe a little smaller, are called growlers. And uh, then the next one, maybe about the size of your house, is called a burgie bit. <laughs> I put the emphasis on bit, like a burgie bit. A burgie bit. Either okay. way, it's pretty cute. It is very cute. And then they got, I guess, sobered up or got bored or ran out of whiskey. And then they said, all right, then the next ones are small, medium, large, and very large. Right. Which is really boring compared to Bergy Bit. It is. But the very large ones are kind of interesting in, in that they they just keep going and going. The largest one ever recorded is the uh, B-15 iceberg. Yeah. Broke off of the Ross ice shelf down in Antarctica. Uh, apparently, it was about the size of Jamaica. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's it's broken apart into smaller pieces since, but I think the original um, area was about sixty eight hundred square miles. That's a that's a big chunk of ice. Yeah, and, and in order to be, I mean, that's the the upper limit. Like it can just be as big as they're going to get. Um, there's no like cap or anything like that to to call it super extra large. Um, but very large, you have to be about twenty four stories tall. And a little longer than two football fields, 670 feet, if to be classified as very large. Yeah. That's, that's big, man, if you think about that. Yeah. It's huge. Um, I'm sorry, it's very large. Or it's huge. Huge. Um, the other two classifications that icebergs can fall in are equally boring as the last four size names. They really could have done better than this, if you ask me. But they're, the two shape classifications are tabular and non-tabular. And uh, tabular is basically just like a... Well, it looks like a, a table, like a, a or a tab, yeah, a tablet, <laughs> a writing tablet on yeah. its back, and it's like tall with steep sides and a flat top. It's like a floating plateau, um, and those tend to come off of the ice sheets down in the Antarctic, I believe. Yeah, those are. Um, I think they have to have a width five times greater than their height to be tabular, mm-hmm. and then non-tabular have, I think, five different classifications. You got blocky. Okay. Flat top, steep sides. They sound like Dick Tracy uh, characters. <laughs> they do. Wedged, um, flat with a steep surface on one side and a gradual slope on another. So it's like the high right haircut. Yeah, the Gumby. The Gumby. Uh, the dome, which is round and smooth. Uh, pinnacle, which means it has at least one big, tall spiral sticking up. And then the ones that um, deteriorate to where they form a big canyon and it looks like two different icebergs, but it's really connected underneath. Mm-hmm. Those are dry docks. So that means they have two tips sticking out, but they're connected underwater. It's like mind-blowing. It's pretty mind-blowing. Uh, it was, it's pretty neat at the very least. Yeah. So um, we've got northern icebergs, southern icebergs. Um, and there's plenty of icebergs like elsewhere, but for the most part... Northern icebergs, like we said, form off the western coast of uh, Greenland. Yeah. Because Greenland, apparently, I read this, that Greenland and Antarctica are the only place where um, there's ice sheets. Oh, really? Glacial. glacial, True glacial sheets. Glacial sheets. Boy, that's a tough one. That was. Yeah. It it surprised me, too. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, And in uh, Greenland, there's about 20 glaciers that cap the majority of the icebergs. Yeah, that was, I thought, pretty cool. I thought it was cool, too. Um, roughly 40,000 medium to large uh, cav from Greenland glaciers each year. Is that right? And uh, they are 
about 10% as strong as concrete, which I thought sounded not super strong, but apparently that's like way harder than like your freezer ice. Oh, yeah. Like this ice is different than the ice you put in your scotch. Right, which is why when icebergs run into one another, it, it tends to break it up into smaller icebergs. Yeah. They're very much subject to um, wave motion, uh, storms, uh, other icebergs, sure. land. When they run into things, like they break up, and it's one of the things that has a, a big uh, deleterious effect on their lifespan. <laughs> but it's part, of the, it's part of the iceberg life cycle. Are we still going with Deletrius? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Um, they are pretty slow, but um, to give you an idea, like a fast-moving iceberg goes about 2.2 miles per hour, and that's hauling. Oh, I'm glad you bring this up because that, that raises a very important point. Because we see the tip of the iceberg and because we're so um, anthropocentric, sure, um, we assume that wind drives icebergs. You'd be dead wrong in yeah. assuming that. Since most of the iceberg is underwater, it's currents that drive icebergs. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so that's how icebergs can be trapped, like, in the Antarctic because they're trapped in that current. Or up north in the Labrador current, they kind of stay trapped up there. Yeah. Um, but it also it makes them subject to wave motion, currents from other far, far off storms. Yeah. And I guess getting hung up on things underwater. Yes. As well. It's another good point is um, they apparently strike the bottom of land a lot. Yeah, and they can like wreck the seafloor, can't they? Yeah. But if you think about it, like there's plenty of parts of um, North America where glacial movement uh, carved oh, sure. geological features out of the land. Yeah. The icebergs do the same thing when they're dragged along by the current and say one's a thousand feet tall underwater and, and it hits... A, patch of sea that's less than a thousand feet yeah it's gonna strike hard new york city and fast go to central park and look at the rocks there oh yeah yeah they got all those little grooves cut out that's ice that's ice ice baby nice (laughs) um no that was not nice nice. uh the ecology this was sort of uh surprising to me because i just figured they're just floating along maybe they melt a little bit what's the big whoop but I didn't really consider the fact that it's melting this glacial freshwater, a lot of it at times, depending on the size of the iceberg, all around in the seawater. And that's got to have some sort of ecological effect. Yeah, and I couldn't find anything anywhere that said, like, there's a lot of life that's adapted to living in freshwater, even though its home is seawater and they live around icebergs. I couldn't find anything like that. But apparently it has little effect on these animals because icebergs are basically like floating time-release nutrients capsules. Yeah, it's like teeming with life around yeah. it. So they must love it, these little krill and plankton. It's like a lot of small stuff generally. Well, what there's there's a um there's a, a definite um what's that chain called? Food chain. Yeah. That icebergs support. Um they bring a lot of uh iron rich nutrients from the land sure. as a gift to the sea. Mm-hmm. And as they melt they slowly release this stuff. This supports um algae Right? Yeah. So there's a lot of algae that, that uh, grows on there. Krill, these little tiny shrimp-like things, eat the algae. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all these other animals eat the krill. And then the birds prey on the other fish yeah. that are eating the krill. So this whole food chain develops around this iceberg. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But even even something that I think they've only recently begun to figure out is that icebergs are they're a sign of climate change. Like everybody's worried about all the icebergs melting and the right. sea levels rising. And for good reason. But they're also figuring out that they also aid in carbon sequestration 
in the ocean. That makes sense. So this algae and all this stuff, as they're eating this iron, there's a transfer of carbon yeah. from the land to these uh, that the, this life that eventually will die, fall down to the bottom of the sea, mm-hmm. and keep the carbon trapped with it. So algae that wouldn't be there um, is soaking up carbon and then being eaten and passed along in this undersea food chain. And they found that um, the carbon absorption around an iceberg is twice what it wow. is elsewhere. Because this algae wouldn't be there if it weren't for the iceberg. Wow. So they're, it's soaking up the CO2. That's crazy. They also taketh away what icebergs giveth. Uh, and not just boats and ships like the Titanic. There, I said it. Okay. Um, they uh, can actually, like I said, they can clog up uh, shipping lanes. They can, uh, in the case of B-15, I think it actually um, had a pretty uh, deleterious effect on emperor penguins. Yeah, in March, had, of the, uh, March of the Penguins. I still haven't seen that. Yeah. And they, so, you know, what happens in that sad movie, I guess, what, do they have to walk around it? Yeah, and there's a they really have a tight schedule. Yeah. So yeah. when they hit an iceberg that's, you know, taller than them, penguins don't fly, remember? Yeah. And is really wide, they have to go around it. Boy, they should learn to fly. Yeah. That would just solve a lot of problems. It really would. Um so yeah, it can have negative effects on the, the little penguins, the cute little penguins. And um it can rake the seafloor <laughs> and just destroy it basically over the course of, of many years. No good. No. Another cool thing. <laughs> okay. And this, I don't know, I couldn't find if they're actually moving on this, but uh, the United States uh, military um, called up the RAND Corporation and said, hey, yeah. boy, these things are huge chunks of awesome drinking water. Yeah. Totally safe to drink because it's, it's... like from the water boy. Yeah. Like you had a little glacial glacier water. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I never saw that all the way through. That's pretty good. Um it uh, they they called the Rain Corporation and said, "Hey, can we study these things and how viable is it to? I know it sounds crazy, but how viable is it to get one of these icebergs over here and provide fresh drinking water for people who need it?" Right. And it sounds like it's not the most ridiculous idea in the world. Um, their study said that a system allowing a ten percent yield could provide water for five hundred million people at a cost of eight dollars per one thousand cubic meters. Which is not too bad. I mean, it's way more expensive than it should be, I think, than it, than we pay for water now. Right. But our water is artificially cheap. Yeah. So as water becomes more expensive, if there's any icebergs left, we may want to go do that. And they say, I guess they just nudge it through the water closer and closer. Um, and this is where it gets a little hinky. It says in the article, using massive insulating sheets yeah. to slow the melting. I don't know what that looks like. but Oh, it looks like um, mylar, like you use to reflect the sun on your um, really? car. That's what they would use? Sure. Hmm. It's all it'll take. You well, know, like those um, sun blankets or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Just something to reflect the sun sunlight, the radiation. Well, it's also moving into warmer water, though. Isn't that going to melt it from below? Or? Yeah, it'll melt it from below for sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you protect what you can, I guess. 
I guess if you're harvesting icebergs, you're right. They're not the uh, they're not the only ones looking at this. Um, I ran across an MIT proposal of building a pipeline from Alaska, where there's plenty of glaciers. Now that to makes the sense. The Western U.S. makes sense, but the the author concluded it's like 487 billion dollars to build this pipeline and keep it going, and that it just wouldn't be worth it. Uh, and canals too. Another another group studied that and suggested a canal. Well, and in the United States, it's exactly hurting for water. It'd be nice if they did some of these studies and, like, pushed it to where they don't have fresh water right now at all. Right. You know? Yeah. Spend a little money for them, like life straws. Right. Um, well, I guess we already went over... Well, Iceberg Alley is actually a little more interesting. They started studying it. They formed the um, International Ice Patrol uh, way later than they should have, I guess, but they probably didn't have the equipment they needed back in the day right. to do what they do now. Um, the Coast Guard, U.S. Coast Guard, administers it, and they warn ships. They kind of uh, run it through their little program and say, we think this is where it's headed. This is how big it is. Uh, if you're in this area, you might want to watch out for this for this guy floating your way. Well, they basically say, like, there's ice up here. Don't go above this these coordinates. It's right. called the limit of all known ice. Wow. And they, um, the Coast Guard also does some other stuff for the, I should say, the ice patrol um, they do other things like um, bomb icebergs. Yeah, did you find out more about that? No, I looked it up on YouTube because I, I was like, surely somebody's video took sure. somebody <laughs> dropping a bomb on an iceberg. Oh, yeah. I couldn't find anything. Huh. Plenty of calving stuff. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, and they also uh, spray paint them with very bright paint, which it seems wrong to me. Just so you can see them? Yeah. Yeah, that's like tagging uh, yeah. like a new car or something. Yeah. Um, a, but a beautiful new car made by nature. Yeah, that wasn't uh, a good analogy. Or putting like um, radio transmitters on them, which Just makes sense. Them. But then when they start to break up, it's like, well, there's a little chunk that has the radio transmitter. Yeah, what about like the rest? <laughs> three feet big. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I got nothing else. I don't either. They've... Oh, I've got something else. All right. What, what you got? So it became... Um, I became interested in the idea of... Uh, this article mentions a nautical mile. Sure. Well, like, why? Why is there a nautical mile in a mile? Oh, okay. And I found out why. So a nautical mile is um, 1.1508 miles. And the reason why is because a nautical mile, when going around the equator, mm-hmm. takes into account the, the um, curvature of the Earth. Yeah. A regular mile, um, or call a statute mile is what it's called, Right. goes from one point on the map, to another through a straight line, right? which means that it's not taking into account the curvature of the Earth, which means that the nautical mile more accurate. is more accurate and thus a little longer than the regular mile. Interesting. From minute to minute along a degree. So a mile is really not a mile? Is that what you're saying on land? No. Huh. No, it's not because it's, a, it's, it's, it's like if you take the Earth, yeah. cut it in half at the equator, and turn it over, you've got the two halves and you're looking in the molten center. Yeah. Um, and you divide it into 360 degrees. Yeah. Divide those degrees into minutes, and then measure a minute to a minute. If you do a straight line, it's not as accurate. If you do the curved line, it will be accurate. And a kilometer is just way out there. In 1791, the French Academy of Sciences uh-huh. said, okay, we're going to designate a kilometer as the, amount, the length, the distance from the North Pole to the equator through Paris. Huh? Yeah, sure. Divided by 10,000. Pretty clever. So there you have it, um, nautical miles. I love it. Thanks, man. 
I really uh, went all out on this one, if you ask me. I think so, too. Kudos, sir. Um, if you want to learn more about icebergs, you can type in that word, I-C-E-B-E-R-G-S, uh, in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. I'll bring up this fine, fine article by Ed Grabinowski. Um, and I said search bar at HowStuffWorks, which means it's time for listener mail. Josh, I'm going to call this one um, good email from a, a Chicago Chicago guy. <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrible <laughs> title. Uh, just yesterday, guys, I was finished uh, reading a book uh, Robin Dunbar wrote called Grooming, Gossip, and the Evolution of Language. Uh, her argument is that language evolved out of a need to keep up social relationships with group members. Put in its most basic form, over time, our brains evolved to be larger which made our average group size increase at the same time. Uh, once our group size became large enough, uh, today our average group size is about 150, we didn't have enough time in the day to groom one-on-one with that many group members to keep up our social bonds with them. So we evolved uh, language so we could use language as a way to verbally groom with more members at a time to keep the group strong. That's interesting. I, it was my understanding that our brains have actually decreased in size over the last like twenty thousand years. Oh, really? Uh huh. Because of group group size, huh. because it's increased, and we have to rely less on our like instincts and run from thunder and stuff like that. I smell a cage match. Uh-huh. Um, another interesting experiment I read about is this: two scientists were studying vervet monkeys in their natural habitat. Uh, they started recording the sounds of the vervets. Um, and make notes about what they were doing when they made the noise. After examining a large sample of noises, they found a correlation between the sound they made and what was happening when they made it. I believe the noises were difficult to distinguish by the naked human ear, but the pattern was obvious when they compared large numbers of them together. Uh, The vervets made a different noise for when an air predator was spotted, when a ground predator was spotted, when approaching a dominant male, etc. Uh, It's not quite language, for it lacks syntax, but it's still more advanced than I thought they were. Hmm. Um, and that's pretty much it. Hope it wasn't too dense. But if it was, then that is Revenge for the Sun podcast. <laughs> <laughs> As a listener right there. That's right. Uh, and that is from Matt Schunke from Chicago. Thanks, Matt Schunke. Go Bears. Yeah, seriously, go Bears. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I guess I always like to hear about new books that I should be reading. Oh, sure. Like we have... <clears throat> any time for that anymore yeah did you hear that that was lament <laughs> it was um send us your book recommendations suckas uh you can turn it you can turn it into uh sysk podcast on twitter uh you could send it to facebook.com slash stuff you should know don't send it i guess you post it on that um or you can send us an email good old-fashioned electronic mail wrap it up spank it on the bottom and send it off to stuff podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.